started this, uh, it was meant to be a one-off um, message, which I kind of told a little white lie to you guys, that it's not actually, it's become part two, because I feel like as I was preparing for this week, God just started to, to almost just speak to me and say, Dan, preach from the place where you're at. I, can, I can't get up here and preach a bunch of principles, which is great, out of the Word of God, and that will always be true and always have application into your life and all of that, but this this is a journey that God has taken both Stala and I on about learning to follow Jesus and step into the unforced rhythms of His grace. To quote Eugene Peterson, translation of Matthew 11, and uh, and it's been a, it's been a journey. I never thought in my life that I'd ever be on the edge of burnout. In my early 20s, I thought, I'm going to give it all for Jesus. I'm going to sleep four hours a night. I'm going to go for it. And I'm going to just, and then, we, and you know, there's, I mean, we even got brought up in a thing where it's like, well, you can sleep when you're dead. I remember saying it to people, like, during, like, busy times. I'm like, come on, you can sleep when you're dead. I'm like, come on, Dan, seriously. Um, it's, not, it's not wise living. God has called us to do this thing as followers of Jesus, as husbands, as wives, as those of you parents, those of you who are involved as business people. You've, you've been given a place of influence from God. He's called you to do it for the long haul, not have a heart attack at 45, 50. And I can tell you that Jesus gives the answer to stress. He gives the, the answer to the question, like, how can we be less stressful? And I think it's when we learn how to step into his the easy rhythms of his grace, which I'm going to talk about a few things today. And for Stala and I, this really was a, a moment in our lives this year where I think it's been, you have certain defining years, and, of, and often the most defining years are the hardest years. And I felt like this year, is, I wouldn't say it's been the hardest year of my life, but there's been some moments where it's like I, was, I, had, I had moments of depression, which is the opposite of my personality. So I knew that there was a spiritual attack. I knew there was, there was all of that side. But then there was also the reality of how I just pushed myself. I pushed myself to the place of mental exhaustion and, and spiritual and soul exhaustion where, my, where I couldn't go anymore. So we go on holiday and I'm like, I'm so excited. We're going to have a little break before Martin Smith comes and it's going to be amazing. I, on the second day, again, I, I said this last week, but I don't want to glorify what happened, but it, it is a reality that happened in my life. I, it was like I just hit a complete wall. Who's ever had that? We just, you can't carry on. It feels like you've I mean, I wanted to quit the job I loved. I said in the first meeting, I felt like starting a restaurant. I think it, maybe that's less stressful. I'm just being honest with you guys. I love you, but sometimes the, the weight of it was like, and I, and I realized this, I'd been doing everything as much as I say I'm doing it in Jesus' strength. I'd been doing everything in my own strength. So I'm, I'm coming from a place of learning this morning, not having all the answers, but knowing that I've gone something of a journey and hopefully will prevent some of you from working, walking or walking into burnout, or working yourself into burnout, or, or into this place of stress, where I believe Jesus wants us to walk in step with Him. And we learned that last week, that, that we follow Jesus, and, and uh, to quote many guys who've said it before, but it's like, you get, you get so close to Jesus, our rabbi, that we get caught up in the dust of the feet of the, of the rabbi. We're so close to Jesus, our King. But I think sometimes in ministry, I know I've done this, and I've got up, guys, we need to do more, we need to do this. And if we, if we do that without the place of understanding rest and true rest, we're going we're gonna to fail eventually. Cool. So let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew 11, verse 28. I'm reading out of the message, which is going to be behind me, and I'm also going to read out of the Amplified. But I believe God wants to lead us into life and life abundantly. Life 
in its fullness. And I can tell you that life outside of Jesus is not life in its fullness. You may, uh, I spoke last week about how we have little things in our lives that may prop us up seasonally, but eventually that's going to burst. We have the armbands that are going to burst. And Jesus is the only one that can sustain us for the long haul. And there's certain patterns and certain rhythms of His grace that He wants us to step into. Matthew 11, verse 28. Eugene Peterson wrote the message. It's, a, it's his version of, of what the Bible is, and I think it's, it's great because it's kind of in our language. And it says, Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. All versions, no matter if it's NIV, NSV, ESV, CSB, is going to say, come to me. If you're tired and weary, the only answer is Jesus. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Love that. Love that version. It's just there's the unforced rhythms. And I'm going to talk about rhythm a little bit later. So I'm going to just set you up to look forward to that. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Who wants that? Eight, ten, hopefully all of us. There's power and agreement. And I love, in the Amplified, I'm going to read this to you. The Word of God is His Word. It changes us. It says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavily burdened by religious rituals that provide no peace. And I will give you rest, refreshing your souls with salvation. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, following me as my disciple. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest, renewal, blessed quiet for your souls. My yoke is easy to bear and my burden is light. Love it. it poses the question and starts. It says, are you tired out, tired, worn out, or burned out with religion? Andy, I'm going to come and get you. Andy was our balloon blower in the first meeting. He did such a great job there. So just imagine that balloon is your life and uh, you have work commitments. That's the first blow. <laughs> you have family, family commitments, which is a big one. You have expectations from people. We're all expats here. We have parents and parents-in-law that want, want us to always contact them. <laughs> my mom will text me after like three days Dan where are you okay are you like but just check if I'm still alive I'm like mom just I'm fine like I love you but we're gonna have 10 days in December with you you know what I mean we'll catch up then anyway but that's guys I know girls are probably a little bit more um but then there's other things what what other what other stresses can we have in our lives shout it out huh traffic blow Another one. What? Finance stress. Yes. Pay the bills. Any more? Keeping up with appearances. Yes. Living under other people's expectations. I think this is like the unburstable balloon. 
Okay, so we, we did this in the first meeting. We were hoping it would pop, but I think we got like these super tight balloons. So basically what will happen, your life will get so full that eventually you will deflate. Ooh, a little bit of spit flying there. <laughs> well done, Andy. The point is the same as popping, bursting, deflating, is that eventually it becomes too much. We get tired and worn out, and then we try, then we're like, I get up and I preach, and I say, guys, it'll be great if you could serve and give, and you're like, I have nothing left. I'm already deflated, and the pastor's asking, and then, then you get worn out with church, and you're like, I can't believe the pastor's asking us to put our name down to serve. What kind of pastor is this? Does he not know? Say, I know, okay. I've been in the workplace. I've done ministry and workplace. I, I get that. But the problem is we've, we've put our priorities out of whack. We've put everything else first. And Jesus clearly says, put first his kingdom, put first his righteousness. See, seek him first. Not the church, not family, not anything else. Seek him first. And when we see, when that becomes priority in our lives, and the graces that he gives us for those priorities is, is church, is community group, is friends around you, all of that stuff, things start to make sense. And there's just a bit of rhythm and flow to our lives. There's a 31-year-old reporter that recently died in Japan after working 159 hours overtime in a month. There's a name for it in Japan, and there's been big companies that have um, been sued, and it's called Karoshi. And, uh, and I, here, I don't think it'll, no one will sue anyone, you know what I mean? Like, people just work overtime, I don't know, the cabin crew are going, oh, you know, it's so hard, I have to, <laughs> just teasing. And pilots, someone put up their hand that they're stressed and they're pilots. I'm like, come on, seriously? You work for three days a month. Um, joking, joking. Someone will say to me, oh, Dan, you only work one day a week. I'm like, yes, I do. I just, I've stopped arguing with them. Like, that's, yeah, I only work one day a week. And, um, but the problem is we live in a society when, where more needs to get done and, and then there's demands on every single angle where Jesus, I believe, knows what we carry he walks with us and he understands us. He says if we walk with him, he's able to take us to a place where we're able to carry the stresses of life and actually cast it onto him and put it on him and learn to walk with him. But that doesn't happen overnight. And sometimes uh, I can, uh, when I was in this moment of burnout and stress and, and whatever you want to call it, I don't even know what you want to call it, I'd, I'd quote scripture until I fell asleep and it did nothing. And I was like, well, you're going, well, do you not believe the word? I, of course I believe the word. But there was stuff in my life that I wasn't putting in place that puts Jesus first. A big one is Sabbath, which I'm going to talk on later. In the message, again, it says, Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take real rest. Walk with me, work with me. Watch how I do it. Jesus expects us to work. And it's, it's amazing with this, uh, that, that illustration. And I spoke about a yoke and a yoke Last week was when I said it's a set of teaching that is not burdensome. But it's also the yoke when there was oxen and you used to, used to plow the land where we had this, this yoke over the oxen. And the, the whole idea is that Jesus plows the land and works with us. But we need to learn how to do it in and through him. So it says, come to me. And I, I, I want to list a bunch of scriptures just about who Jesus is and some, some thoughts. Because sometimes we can say, oh, we, yes, we can't, I come to Jesus, of course. And it's kind of this out there thing. But I want to talk about who Jesus is. So, number one, he is gentle and humble in heart, as it says in this text. Which means that he's not far off. We can come and approach him with absolutely anything. We can, we can bear everything to him. 
He is compassionate. Matthew 9 verse 36, he says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Next one, he is alive. Revelations 1.18, he says, I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death in Hades. He prays for us. Romans 8.34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who, ra- who, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. God of the universe the triune God, there's this, there's this dance of the triune God where Jesus is praying for us right now. He's praying for you. He's, he know, and for me, that's amazing because he knows the fallen world, he knows the pain, he knows all of that things. It says that he, he, was, he experienced the fullness of, of human tragedy and friends dying and himself dying and all of that stuff. And he understood pain and he says that he intercedes with us. He intercedes for us. It means he knows exactly what we're walking through. He is God. He is loving. We know 1 Corinthians 13, it says, love is patient. So we must replace that with Jesus. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. There we go. We didn't have it in the first one. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. He is not arrogant or rude. He does not insist on his own way. He is not irritable or resentful. Next one. Does not rejoice at wrongdoing, etc. You guys can go read that for yourself. But Jesus is love. He felt the pains and the realities of life, as I've said. He is forgiving. He is committed. I love that. Jesus is committed to you. And sometimes we, we have this view of God that he, God is only committed to his overall sovereign plan, and then we just somehow fit into like this little speck of dust, and there's some truth in that, but the reality is God is about the individual. He cares what you care about. He cares, Simon and Amy, that you're artists, and because he, and, he knows he's created you that way, and he's, and he's molded you that way. I said in the first meeting, he cares about Andy's pastel color clothing. And he's just like, Andy, I want to help you choose some clothes this morning. And Andy goes, Lord, I only have pastel. <laughs> Sorry, he, when he gets the mic, I know he's going to get back at me a joke. <laughs> he, cares, he cares about what we love. And Jesus is committed to that. He is passionate. And Jesus, he is for everyone. He hung out with tax collectors. He hung out with prostitutes. He hung out the, with the worst in society. He hung out with those outside of the Jewish faith, which was considered uh, almost like an abomination to a, a Jewish rabbi to, be, to hang out with, with a Syrophoenician woman, to hang out with a woman, a woman at the well who was a Sumerian. Like Jesus, Jesus just crossed every boundary. And that's why I believe when we preach in the gospel, there is no, we are all created equal under God. Every single person, rich, poor, doesn't matter where you're from, you're created equal under God and God is committed to you because He is for everyone. The unforced rhythms of His grace. Grace is obviously God's unmerited favor towards us as mankind through Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for us. We do not deserve His salvation. We do not deserve what He's given to us, but yet He pours out on us. It says, I think it's in Romans or... Don't quote me on it, but it's in the Bible. And it says that, that we are the righteousness of God and through Christ Jesus. We, are the, we carry God's righteousness because of our faith in Christ Jesus. But I think it means also more than that. 
It means God empowers us with a grace to do certain things. For example, Rom is graced to be a CEO of a bank. I'm not. Whenever he starts talking about finances and uh, Fitzy and all this stuff, I'm like, he knows I get a blank look on my face and I disappear. And, uh, and when I try to understand, eventually he says, Dan, I've got a book for you. It's called Investing for Dummies. You must go get it. <laughs> True story, though. But Because uh, I'm like, Ron, what must I do with my money? He goes, and he goes, cool, put it there. And I'm like, simply? Like, can you just do it for me? And I think that's why people pay him to do stuff. Um, People are graced to do certain things. We met with a pastor the other day who runs a ministry about healing uh, past your past hurts and walking and like finding almost like carrying a legacy and making a legacy into the future. But literally, he spoke for four hours at this dinner and did not stop. I'm like, wow, he has a grace on his life. And Stalin met with someone this week who wrote, who's written how many books? Three, four books. A lady, and she's like, Starla, it's like, how do you do it? She goes, I've just got this grace on my life to do it. But then she looks at someone else, like Starla running a conference. She goes, I don't have grace on my life to do that. And it's, it's, it's understanding how God has made you to, to, to be and to act and to react. And that is what God is going to use you into the future with and, and in your life. So he's graced you to do certain things. So could I have the band up, please? Bruce, I'll... Um, I want to show you, I want to give you a little uh, lesson on, um, on rhythm. There's a thing called, who's heard of a click track? There's something playing in musicians' ears every time. And we started this probably about six months ago. And the reason they put the in ears, number one, they can hear themselves, but they can hear this. Sometimes when we first started with this, I used to go to sleep with that sound in my head, like... Let's just let it go. And, uh, and I made a, I, I said, we sat down with the worship team and we were like, guys, we're going to all get onto the click. And uh, there was resistance from me. There's a little bit of resistance from Simon. There's a little bit of resistance from different people. And we were like, no, we're going to do it. And then when I get up to lead worship, I'm like, guys, I've got a little panic mark here, which I can talk into people's ears. And I go, just cut the click, cut the click. It's fine. We don't need it. I'm, I'm good. And I'd always like turn around to Bruce and go, oh, dude, I think the click's a little bit off. And Bruce is like, no, you're off. <laughs> and I, I think there's something about God's rhythm that we, we get into life and we, we don't know how to keep up with it or we've got it out of sync, and we think it's everything else, but it's actually, we're not in the rhythm what God has. So, start out with a click, but then can we add a bit of drums? Do a massive fill there, bro. Bass. Okay, some aggressive bass. Come, we need it. <laughs> Chris. I'll be adding a little bit of flavor into it. No, so. Come on! He's Jamaican, there's always a bit of spice on everything, you know? <laughs> Some spice on the rice. And then um, Bruce, go for it. See, they're all playing to the click. Can we put the click louder? Let's hope they keep in time. Okay, now I'm going to ask him to do a few different things. Um, Al, can you start playing out off time? Please. Bass, you can start playing whatever you want. Bruce, change the key. See, it doesn't sound right, but it's going to get worse. 
Actually, it's not working. We'll just do this for a while. Is that cool? It's killing all the... Okay, thank you, guys. Let's give them a round of applause. If we didn't have the click as a band, and I mean, we, we've got good drummers, so I think they kind of keep things going, but the click helps keep everything together. And once you've got the click, you can add other things to your life. And I believe that that is the rhythm. God wants us to step into his rhythm and to his grace and to in his unforced rhythms. Now, that may seem forced, but I can tell you after a while, you, don't, you actually forget that the click is there. And you start playing. And you start, you're starting to be able to do little things in, in between the clicks. Simon does a little fill. And it's just, but at first, you're kind of just on the click. And it, it's so much like that for me as Christianity. It's about get the principles right. And eventually, as you've got the rhythm going, you're eventually going to be able to add so much more and, and fill it out. But because you've got the, the rhythm of God right in your life, you're able to add other things. So the whole thing is that there's Jesus, the, the Father, sets into, into motion the whole thing of work and rest cycles. And uh, so much of lives, in, in, especially in the Western society in Dubai, is we run and we sprint as hard as we can at something, and then we have a holiday. And then you, know, you don't actually rest on your holiday. You come back, and I've seen it in my life. Sometimes I come back from holiday more stressed than when I left. And then you sprint again. And then you, sp- then you have another holiday. And then the teachers take three months off, so you have no excuse, teachers. Um, that's good, Leslie. Don't hold it against you, ever. It's the only fourth time I'm preaching about it today. Um, but uh, There's something amazing just if we understand God's rhythm of work and rest, I think we'd have to take less holidays. And the problem with most people in our Western world is that we are are under that Karoshi cycle where we're actually working ourselves to death. And we think, especially sometimes me as a pastor, if I don't work, everything's going to fall apart, especially in the early days of leading the church. If if I don't do this, it's going to fall apart. And I've, I've had to realize after four or five years of leading this church that, wow, Jesus does a whole lot more when I'm at the place of rest in my heart than when, when I'm striving. And I don't believe it's not just for pastors, but it's for everyone. He says the, the unforced rhythms of his grace. And one of the key ones for me is the Sabbath. And I don't think we talk a lot about this in church. And I've been really inspired by a guy called um, Paul Scarazzo, whatever, Scazzero. He wrote, a, he wrote a book called The Emotionally Healthy Leader. He wrote a book called The Emotionally Healthy Church. And just the key about emotional health in the church, I don't think is often spoken about. It's always about we're on this kind of treadmill to reach more people, go for more people. But I've, what I've realized in, this, in understanding rest and understanding Sabbath is that Jesus is able to multiply the effort and the five loaves and two fishes if we do something that he told us to do in the first place. Often we're running ahead of him. So the Sabbath, Genesis 2, this verse 2, and it, this was set into the fabric of the world as, as God made it. It says, um, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. Let's just think God rested. Now, we can get into the thing, oh, God doesn't need to rest, and obviously he doesn't, he's God, he never tires, he never grows weary, but he was setting something in as a principle to look back, reflect on the creation that he's made. It says, then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because, because on it he rested from all work creating that he had done. And there's something that was set into motion thousands and whatever millennia ago, however you believe about creation, 
It's that, that God set in place that there needs to be this moment in our week of 24 hours of total rest. And not just like Netflix and, and just coffee and whatever. Like that may be part of it, but it's actually understanding what it means to take a Sabbath. And uh, Stalin and I, in reality, I don't think have done this very well. And that's part of the problem where I think we, we both hit a wall at different times this year is that we didn't really know how to switch off properly. Like we have moments of switching off, but then we'll start working on a Saturday. We'll do stuff because we think, oh, it's easy for us. You know, we can just carry on doing it. But we experimented this past week properly. We switched off completely from Friday to sunset on Saturday. We literally sat on the beach from 9 o'clock till sunset, did a little bit of a gym session at the end. And uh, it, I felt like I woke up that morning more refreshed, more with more vision, more kind of saying, God, this is in your hands. This, whatever my day is, is not dependent on me how hard I do stuff or push stuff. It's all in your hands, and I can trust you with it. It's, it shows that God has this place of trust, like finances, like these areas where you give to God in faith. We need to give God a day in faith so he can bless the rest. God blesses three things in the Old Testament in Genesis. He says he blesses people so that we may be fruitful and multiply. He blesses animals so they can be fruitful and multiply. But then he blesses the Sabbath. And I believe it's always about multiplication. And it's understanding that if we, if we know that God is blessing a day of rest, blessing a day of contemplation, blessing a day of stopping, God is able to multiply what you can do during the week. The, the world is not dependent on you. God has been doing kind of okay for the last millennia. So how do we Sabbath? It's not legalistic. Find a day in the week. Some of you have strange uh, work cycles, you pilots, or you're working on weekends, but find a moment of 24 hours a day. For us, it works from Friday night to Saturday, but some of you work on Saturday, so it could be Thursday night all the way through. Come and worship on a Friday. Lift Jesus up. It's part of your worship to Him. It's part of your Sabbath. So the first thing is to stop. And um, if you look at stop signs, they're not there as a suggestion. Imagine we treated a, uh, the stop sign, which is universal across the world, as a suggestion. And we're just like, oh, I feel like stopping, but I'm not going to. And I remember driving down once from Johannesburg. We, we're driving through Maritzburg into Durban, which is a town on the way, city on the way to, to Durban. And I didn't stop. I don't know if you were with me, Bruce. And I didn't stop at this one traffic light, and I went straight through, and then, but there was, this, there was clearly a reason why there was a stop. And I just, I just pulled through, the lights were really dim, and uh, I hit this bump, and we just hit this bump, and we like flew, felt, it felt like the movies. I'm like, when, when this car lands, it's over, guys. We're leaving my little golf, little green bomber in Maritzburg, and we're hitching all the way down to Durban, but we did survive, and it was okay. But the thing is, stop signs aren't a suggestion. And sometimes God is putting stop signs in our life. And a clear stop sign for me is, is a Sabbath. It's not a suggestion by God. It's, it's something that he's, he's, he's woven into the fabric of creation that we need to take on a, on a weekly basis, time to sit back and, and, and reflect and spend time on the beach and, and hang out with family. Have the, the traditional Shabbat, uh, in, uh, in Jewish households is that they start on a Friday night with a big meal together around the table. And I encourage those who've got families, have, 
two, three times a week, but make, make a concerted effort where you sit down and you have a, a family meal together. I love going to Roman Nushi's home. They've got a, a table of about, I think it's 12 that you can sit around that table, and they always have the food laid out in the middle, and we're sharing and we're talking. And, and so often, that's not the culture that I grew up in. For me, it was my mom would make something or I would make something. I was cooking from young. And, um, and we'd go sit in the lounge, watch TV, eat, and then go somewhere, go to bed or whatever it was. But I, it's, it just start, start that and reflect on the week. Ask, ask your kids how they're doing. Ask them what is challenging in the week, etc. So stop. Rest. Once we stop, we accept God's invitation to rest. Some, for who's, I'm not going to ask who's workaholics, but some of us are workaholics here. And we can't switch off. We need to accept and repent and, and just thank God for the rest that He's put into the fabric of creation. We need to delight. After finishing with His work of creation, God pronounced that it's very good. He just sat back and said, what I've made is very good. Let's, let's take back on the week and reflect on the good things. Reflect what God has done. Don't think back to the negative things. You can, you can sort that out on Sunday morning. Just think on the good things. Contemplate. We have a generation, I believe, where we don't know how to contemplate. One of the main reasons is our, is our phones. And, and for me, I'm as guilty as anyone else, but there's, if there's a spare moment, it's like this, uh, Instagram or Facebook or whatever it is. And, uh, and we need to take moments where we're learning how to contemplate. If, it's, if you need to if you do what you need to do, there's no laws on this, but if you need to switch your phone off, if you need to have a time where you're just like, and you're accountable with your wife and, or your husband or whatever it is, just like, I'm putting that away. Uh, I've listened to a guy, he says he puts his laptop, his phone, any device where people can communicate with him, he puts it in a box in his study and for 24 hours he doesn't look at it. I'm like, I'll get there eventually. <laughs> he says, I won't lay anything, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Part of the reason I believe Jesus, if you look at his life and you spend time with him, they had, you have the Gospels, which is a, a kind of a, an overview of 30 years, which in most of the Gospels you can sit down and read it in one reading and go through it in maybe an hour, half an hour through a Gospel, is that that was highlights of Jesus' 30 years on earth and particularly three years when he was doing his ministry. There was a lot of time where they just hang out, where they just had meals, where they did the Sabbath, where they uh, were interacting with one another. And I think sometimes we have to learn to find God in the pauses and not in the doing. And I often find God in the doing. And I've had to repent from that place of like, God, God loves me even when I'm resting. He loves me even when I've taken a pause and have taken a, a step back. Part of the thing is that Jesus only did what he, what he saw the Father doing. How much of our lives is governed by other people? How much of our lives is governed by other people's expectations? Now, I know some of you are bosses and some of you are underbosses, so I get that. But there has to come a point where you, where you don't live with that expectation and Jesus becomes number one. And how do you balance that all together? Do you live with a, a sense of guilt the whole time? And I can tell you that's not Jesus. And as a pastor for many years, for the first five years of leading this church, I, I let other expectations dictate my, my, my day and let other expectations dictate my workload because people think pastors should be this. And, uh, and hopefully we've, over the years, kind of, I've learned, but we've also kind of just dispelled that thing. I'm, I'm not perfect, guys. Sorry to tell you that. Um, I'm not going to answer you back sometimes. 
But the reality is I, I had to learn not to live under other people's expectations, but live under what God was telling me to do. So uh, there's this thing which some of you may have seen, but it's God's voice versus the enemy's voice. God's voice stills you. The enemy's voice rushes you. God's voice leads you. The enemy's voice pushes you. God's voice reassures you. The enemy's voice will frighten you. God's voice enlightens. The enemy confuses. God's voice encourages. The enemy discourages. God's voice comforts. The enemy make you, makes you worry. God's voice calms you. The enemy's voice torments you. So you can do almost this as, what voice am I hearing right now? Is this God or is this, is this Satan? Then you can clearly see. God's voice convicts where the enemy's voice condemns. So God will convict us of stuff to lead us into a greater future where the enemy will condemn us and say there is no hope because of what you've done. Jesus convicts and says, cool, make, repent, make your life right, turn your face towards me. There's life. The enemy goes, you've messed up. You will always be a loser. You will always, you will always have issues. Where It's completely two different voices. God is the one that leads us into greatness. Jesus was never in a hurry. There's a guy I've started reading. His name's Dallas Willard. Um, actually, quite difficult to read, to be honest. So I don't even recommend necessarily reading his stuff. It's, uh, <laughs> maybe I'm just not super smart. But, um, but he says this. He says, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry in your life. It's the enemy of spirituality. It's the enemy of us becoming more like Jesus. Jesus wasn't in a hurry. There's an amazing story in Luke 11. You don't have to turn there, but it speaks about Jesus. He gets word that his good friend Lazarus is about to die. And Jesus' response was, cool, let's just stay two more days where we're at. So they were in, I think they were in Judea, and uh, they get word that, that Lazarus is about to die. By the time Jesus gets there, Lazarus is dead. Mary and Martha are, are you can imagine, freaking out. This is Lazarus' brother and sister, friends of Jesus. Jesus the, the Bible says that Jesus wept in this moment. Jesus goes, don't worry, he's fallen asleep, but he's going to be resurrected. And he goes in and, and he, he resurrects Lazarus from the dead. But the point is... Jesus followed the voice of the Father. If he followed the voice of man, he would have rushed over there and said, I've got these healing powers. I'm going to heal my best friend. And God says, don't worry. What I've got planned for you in the next two days here is more important, but don't worry. You're going to resurrect your friend from the dead. And sometimes we need to have that God's voice as the closest voice. And often I believe is that uh, we, we have so many other voices, like we did the, the balloon illustration, and we, we're blowing up other things in our lives that we can never hear the voice of God. So I want to encourage you just very simply, take a Sabbath. That's basically what I'm saying today. It's, it's not rocket science. Um, and learn how to rest. Learn how to switch off from your day. There's people who own companies here. Learn to switch it off. I know, I know what it feels like. We basically own a company and a church. Well, we don't own the church. Jesus does. But you know what I'm saying? Like, and, uh, and I feel like sometimes I have to physically switch off things in my mind. And I go into my mind. I'm like, I'm, I'm going to file that. And if it's whatever you do, if you take notes, set a reminder for Sunday. If you look at my reminders, it's just crazy. They're always set for Sunday, 11 o'clock, because that's generally when we kind of get going with our staff meeting. And, uh, and, I, and it just helps me. So do whatever you can to switch off for that whole day, if it's Saturday, if it's Friday, and spend time with your family, spend time reflecting, loving Jesus and worshiping Him. Let's pray. You can stand if you'd like. Chris, would you mind playing?
Thank you. Just ask the guys to play just because it'll just give it space for reflection. And I don't think we do that enough in church. I think there's a lot of speaking and a lot of us having to do stuff. Um, but I want to just take a moment right now. So everyone, everyone just want to close their eyes. If you're comfortable with putting your hands out to receive from Him, it's just a posture of God, like, I need you. So often we just need to get to the end of ourselves because that's where God is, is clearly there. And all He wants often is surrender. And I think a, a Sabbath and time off and resting is a a way of saying, Jesus, I trust you with the rest of my week. God may be speaking to people now about stuff that they have to lay down. Maybe Maybe you've been living in stress most of your life. And God is clearly saying, take that thing away, take that thing away. Simplify. Jesus lived simply. I encourage you to go home if it's journaled. Begin journaling and say, God, what are, what are the things you want me to subtract? So what you have given me, that can actually be a blessing and fruit on. So Dan would just like me to share something that happened this week. I have probably been in denial for the last few years of just being like a workaholic, enjoying work, finding pleasure and satisfaction in work. And I know for for many years, he's always said, you know, just take Saturday off, just take Saturday off. And I would become angry and defensive. But um, And lots of people around me would say that. But uh, only last week when we were sitting with a friend of ours who's a doctor and a counselor, did he um, really speak the word of God over me and I was just so convicted and I just began to weep and ask Dan for forgiveness because I really believe that that work being a workaholic is actually a sin and um, I had to repent and repentance means turning away from what you were putting in place and it was robbing us and we have to work through the consequences of that now which I believe God can redeem but this week as I was Uh, just spending time with God I just felt his presence so tangibly on me and his hand came on my chest it felt like a physical hand that just said stop this far and no more and for about seven minutes I just felt this peace flood into my heart it was a liquid warmth this peace that was so tangible it was something I've never experienced before and I breathed deeply for the first time and realized just how shallow my breaths had been and how tense and stressed I'd been, uh, which has got consequences on my body now. But the whole point is, is that it's amazing that God has set this principle in place, that a Sabbath is something He can bless. He can bless your life if you set aside that time for Him. So, yeah. I think it's powerful. I mean, Starla, I walked into the bedroom. I'm like, are we going to get to the office? And was like, Dan, I'm just with Jesus. And I think we need to learn how to prioritize that in our lives. And let him, because can we all close our eyes together? I feel like God wants to really just minister deeply. He wants to, he wants to set some people free this morning. Some people on a, just this, they feel like they're sprinting, but actually on a treadmill, it's going nowhere. God has called us to fruit, 
not to exhaustion. He's not called us to be absolutely exhausted from the things that He's placed in front of us. Father, I thank You for Your peace. Speak Your peace over this church, over every single person standing here, Lord God.